good morning, everyone. I hope you are having a good morning as we worship our God. Um, Brad kind of, he, he likes looking in my eyes and seeing what's going on with Mitch, and he goes, are you okay? And I said, I'm a little salty. And so he asked, well, what from? And of course, you know, not, not the best week for me from a competitive standpoint. I wish I could have done better. But that's not real the reason why I'm salty. Part of it is I'm worn out <laughs> from this week, past week, and, and some things that, that are heavy on my heart that I want us to talk about. And so this is why we're having this sermon here this morning when we're talking about perfect love casts out fear. I'm wanting to preface what I'm going to say at the end of the sermon with what I'm saying here at the very beginning, and this ties in with the sermon from last week. So last week we were talking about people being broken, right? And, and that's a reality of us. What I want to just focus on for just a minute is to see just how broken a people we are and to tie that in with this concept of love casting out fear and looking at perfect love casting out fear. Number one, and I'm doing this because we have children here. I'm not gonna, I, I said certain sins. Adults, let your mind wonder what those certain sins are that are scary and make you afraid. Right? So some of us, we go into the jails, and there are some crimes that the men and the women that we share the gospel with have sins that we consider as scary. Right? The easy ones that we can talk about, when I say easy, it's not easy from a standpoint of talking about it, but ones that is acceptable to talk about are dealing with murder. That's pretty scary stuff. You know? What happens if someone is a, a murderer or has a past of that, or someone that has maybe intense anger, you know, and they burst out into just rage, would they be scary to be around? How about someone with PTSD? I mean, all kinds of range, including anger, they can come from it. I've come to know individuals that struggle with PTSD. You know, what happens if they are in your midst? How do you deal with that, right? Mental illness. We have a brother in Christ that shared his, his heart with us last week with regard to mental illness. He's not the only one. There's many, many Christians that deal with mental illness. That's some of the brokenness that, that is life, right? We know this, brethren, but there is somehow a taboo within the body of Christ that we don't really talk about it. Part of the reason why is because I believe we want a sanitized church. It's comfortable. It's comfortable to be a part of a church where everyone is good. Everyone's got it together. And while we know that's not true, we know that. But we present it that way. And we want it to be presented that way because it's comfortable for us. The reality is some of our brokenness within the body of Christ and within our own family here can be scary. And while we are talking about these things, there is just this concept, not only within the body of Christ, but even in our society, that those around them display or voice their concerns about such fear. And I think it's legitimate to voice concerns about fear. I think it's a, a gift of sorts, and I've put that in the bulletin article, that fear can serve a good purpose. So fear in and of itself is not wrong. Right? Although the very first time you see it in the Bible displayed, Genesis chapter 3. 
right? Remember after Adam and Eve sinned? It is only then that when God is walking in the midst, they hide from God. And God says, where are you guys at? Well, we were afraid because we were naked. It's the first time you hear fear. And there's something about it that is, is beyond the con- immediate context of that that displays itself in a way. So when we con- take that concept of fear and now tie that into the body of Christ and those that we're trying to reach the gospel to, which is not just going to be someone who is only going to live in a neighborhood that I live in and live a life that I live that looks like me, talks like me, acts like me, and then, okay, that's a good candidate for the gospel. We know that that's not the way our Lord limited his search for souls, right? Take a look at this. In Matthew chapter 9, as Jesus is in the midst of of two different individuals, he basically says, I did not come to help those who are well. I came to help those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous. I came to call those who are sinners, if I can paraphrase what Jesus was talking about. And there are those that we have that we just perceive as individuals that would make for good Christians. And I'm going to tell you right now, we don't say it this way, but somehow we practice it in, in, at a certain level this way. We want someone, as I would mentioned earlier, that has it together. We, want, we don't want someone that comes in and their lives are such a wreck so long as it doesn't affect me. Then I'm okay if they're a wreck because they're not affecting me and my safety or the safety of those whom I love. That's what we think. Jesus went after them all, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. He lists all these various sins, and he says, and such were some of you. Look at some of the lists that include murderers, among others, or lists of, of homosexuality, of adultery. And there are some sins that were like, okay, you're okay with this sin. You can sit next to me. But on this sin, I don't know if I'm wanting you to sit next to me. I didn't put a scripture on it, but we see in the scriptures where Jesus goes to individuals that people are afraid of, demon-possessed individuals, right? While we may not have demon-possessed individuals today, there are people that I'm telling you right now, because I've witnessed it myself um, in, in, in a certain context, where I saw someone that could very well have passed the, the description of being demon-possessed. Scary situation. Jesus goes to and heal that, heals that individual. We see the apostles going to individuals that other people would be afraid of and works with those individuals. Or in Acts chapter 8, where the apostle Paul, before he became an apostle, was a Jew who in his love for God, but his, also his zeal for God, despised and hated Christians. I mean, to the point where they're put to death. And he was justified in his own mind of having them put to death or, or imprisoned because of their belief system. So much so that when you get to Acts chapter 9, after, Jesus, or after um, Paul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus and becomes a follower of Jesus, 
The others who are followers of Jesus don't know that that is the case. And when Paul tries to associate himself, not church membership, but associate, have fellowship with his brethren, they didn't want any part of him. And it wasn't until Barnabas stepped in, if I remember the story correctly, Barnabas basically says, guys, here's what happened to Paul. He is one of us and convinces them and they begin to have fellowship with him. Okay, But until then, they were afraid of Paul. Now, if you'll notice something about the correlation of all these things is this fear factor. Because when, when God is reaching out to us, he's not just reaching out to just all the people that fits this small mold here. We're a variety of people with a variety of brokenness in us. And including the severity, the intensity, the saturation, if you will, of this brokenness that, frankly, at times can seem overwhelming to us. Overwhelming because it's not part of the bubble of life that is mine. Right? Get this. Seven years ago, before Jim and Shirley came here, and before we began doing as a congregation the work in, in jails and prisons, I guarantee you we're, many of us were afraid. Guaranteed. Now, because we have about 30 of us going into the jails at, at given times during the week, that's not as a big deal anymore. In fact, our minds and our hearts have broadened and enriched our concept of who we share the gospel with. See, the thing is, though, when, when the people, the men and women that we're sharing the gospel with are incarcerated, they're not in this room. They're not 24-7 living with us. I'll give you a further instance along these lines. Bonnie gets released from, from jail, and now Bonnie is out, and Bonnie comes to worship with us. There were some that were saying, you know, she's got a, she's got a record. Yeah, she does. It's her past. You know, she doesn't have it together. That's right. She doesn't. I'm telling you right now, Bonnie still struggles. By the way, FYI, just got a phone call from, or Julie got a phone call from Bonnie yesterday asking for more prayers. Her sister, uh, sister, her daughter, Maria, um, not doing well. And if you know Bonnie's past with her family, and a lot of her family does drugs, and she's asking for prayers because she wants her daughter to be alive. And so it, life gets messy is what I'm saying. And times it gets ugly messy. And again, if the church is going to be growing, if we're going to be reaching the gospel to everyone, sometimes the mess can seem overwhelming to us. And that's what we're seeing here. The Lord is adding to the church daily those who are being saved. And daily those who are being saved includes those among us that we have difficulty trying to say, how do I love you? What do I do that, that shows you a genuine substantive type of love that was read for us by Garland in 1 John chapter 4? And so that's what we need to talk about. Here's the thing about fear. Fear has its place, but what fear cannot do and fear will not do it will not heal or help heal or provide for the means by which healing can take place for brokenness. Fear cannot do that. What fear limits itself to is self and those who are considered in this realm of self. 
right? So if I'm afraid of someone breaking into my house, fear makes sure I get locks that work. And for extra security, I get Nest or I get whatever, I get ADT. I don't know what the alarm companies are. Fear makes sure it's done and we make the, the daily check that our alarm systems are up and running, that our dog is, is very good and well-trained and, and everything that we can do to protect ourselves. Fear has a good ability of doing that. And I'm telling you right now, we live in a fear-based society. Parents, all you have to do is just remember when you were kids and you were able to roam free, what, 20, 25 years ago? No problem. I mean, I'm nine years old, and I'm five miles away from home on a bicycle. Nine years old, brethren. You guys, we don't even let our children two houses down from us at nine years old anymore. Fear-based society. Just look at the way the news is presented. Look at the way our, our advertising is presented. We're a fear-based society. Fear has its place, but it's limited. And the thing is, while it protects ourselves, it doesn't protect the broken that brings fear with their brokenness. And so for some people, we don't, we're not afraid, but that's some people. A lot of people are afraid when people bring their brokenness in our midst. So when, when one of us reaches out asking for help, like last week, the question that we have is, how do we react? Because if it's only limited to fear... It's not going to help the one that comes and vulnerably comes before us saying, I'm asking for help and I'm asking for prayers. And the kind of help that I'm asking for is, I want you to have fellowship with me. Brother, I'm, I'm, I'm letting you know right now, this is why when Brad asked me how I was feeling, I'm feeling salty. is because of last week. We want everything to be just right. We want to make sure our visitors that come in here see a wonderful service. I'm telling you here and now, I was glad for last week. Glad that we have individuals who are pouring their hearts out. And while the words that they choose can bring about this, well, I wouldn't have chosen those words. Well, you're not in their situation. You did not walk in their shoes. They're pouring their hearts out, saying, I want your prayers. And if we're more concerned about my well-being, my safety and the safety of my children, which are all legitimate brethren, and not concerned for that one individual, the two individuals, or the multitude of individuals who could be pouring their hearts out, then we've got to realize there is something greater than fear that we have yet to learn well. Because what fear does, ultimately, even if un unintentionally, is it provides for a dichotomous relationship and not a unified relationship. Let me say it again. This dichotomous relationship is an us versus them, and it may not be intentional, but that's what happens when it's a fear-based relationship. We may not see it, but that's what happens. That's the, the reality of where it leads to. Unless love steps in, 
And here's what we're talking about, right? So we were reading out of 1 John chapter 4, and the context may be broader than its immediate context of John 4, but the principle is there, right? Perfect love casts out fear. I'll share this. So in the, in the spirit of, of wanting to, to know my brother, and, and by the way, this brother came, asked me, can we meet together? And this was before last Sunday, and I said, absolutely. And of course, after last Sunday, legitimate concern for my elders, for me. No different than, what, 14, 15 years ago when I go to South America and I'm, I'm wanting to preach the gospel in a very dangerous area. And the elders are saying, I don't know, Mitch. You got to think about your family. You have three beautiful daughters. You have a beautiful wife. You want to take care of them. And absolutely. What they were saying was, in a very tender, loving way for me, for my benefit, is please don't go and preach there. That's what they're saying. It's no different than when Peter was, was basically saying, Lord, even if everyone else forsakes you, you know, I'm going to be there to protect you. When Jesus is saying, I, I need to go to the cross. Like, no, 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 we're going to make sure you stay safe. Get behind me, Satan. There's, some, there's a higher plane at work when Jesus is intending to go to the cross and, and Peter is more in protective mode. And the same thing was, was true those 15 years ago, protective mode. And same thing true in this past week, protective mode, because they love me. And we need to love our brethren that are being vulnerable as well. Go and spend some time with our brother. Get to hear him pour his heart out. I'm so glad I did. You get to learn some things about someone. And you get to, you get to pray for them in a way that you haven't. You get to understand the story of their life better. No different than the men and women that, who have been incarcerated where we might prejudge them and then we get a chance to sit down with them and talk to them and hear their story and all of a sudden they're not as scary anymore doesn't take away from their their crimes doesn't take away from their sins doesn't mean that things cannot still happen because they can the difference between fear and love is that perfect love is aimed at helping that brokenness Fear is protecting me from that brokenness. There's a distinction. When a Christian is called, he's not called to be a professional. That we become psychologists, we become counselors. That's not what we're called to do. Right? Maybe some of us in this room have that type of ability, have that type of gift and great, we should exercise it. And we have brethren that do. Not all of, us, all of us have that ability. But all of us do have the ability and the calling to simply love one another. And that's the song that we sang. That's the scriptures that are rampant throughout scriptures that we have read. Because that's what we're called to do. Right? I want you to look at verse 9 of 1 John. Chapter 4. I'm going to read it one more time. As Garland had read for us. And I want you to zero in on this aspect of our calling. 1 John chapter 4. And focus in on verse 9. 
Reading verse 7 so for context. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world. Why? That we might live through him. So here we are. We are all kinds of broken mess of a people. And God sends his son to die for us. There is the love manifested toward us. What happens to us? We become transformed so that we can live through the one who died for us as enemies of God, enemies of the cross. In all of our brokenness, he still touches us with our metaphoric leprosy, blindness, deafness, and if I can just be more literal, stubbornness and hatred. And he still loves us. And while we can be a very wicked type of people on this planet, he still dies for us. In the same way, we are living through him and touching other people's lives. And what that means is that we don't love them at a distance like this. At times, it gets dirty. At times, we, we risk our lives. No different than a police officer going on the highway, helping someone even as simple as changing their tire, risking your life while there's cars going at 70 miles per hour on the interstate. Sometimes helping another person can get risky. You can get hurt or worse. It happens. But maybe there's another need for another sermon called suffering in the name of Jesus Christ because many people were willing to go to their death for the cause of Christ. And we're more concerned about our personal well-being and limit our fellowship to that concept. We need to rethink this concept of love. We need to rethink our concept of sharing in each other's burdens. Because sharing in each other's burdens are not limited to just, you know, um, something that is so simple that it doesn't make me uncomfortable. And sometimes as we grow, we're going to continue with growing pains. We're going to have moments that are not perfect. We're going to have moments that are ugly in the body of Christ. And that may come even in the form of someone who steps into this room comes before the congregation and makes an announcement that we don't want to hear. So, sorry to be very, very bold about my soapbox. I could have said my personal thoughts. I could have said something different, more politically correct. But just for a moment, as I mentioned to you, I thank God for last Sunday because it is in my personal estimation the Lord's church, if we're ever going to truly grow in the spirit of Christ, it has to be willing to have moments like last week where we become vulnerable so that we can open ourselves up asking for prayers. But here's where the conflict arises. Conflict arises with traditions. Our tradition over the years, and, and this is a tradition, by the way, and some of you are going to nod your head, yeah, this is a tradition, and others are like, no, 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 it's in the scripture, I can't find it yet. If someone sins publicly, what are they supposed to do publicly? Confess their sins. That's a tradition, by the way, brethren. You just 
I'm asking you to find the scripture. If it's a public sin, you have to confess it publicly. And in fact, you need to do it in front of the church. Because there have been for decades, even here in Franklin, Tennessee, churches that teach this very thing. Public sin, public confession. Private sin, private confession. And at times, we are okay with private sins becoming public. But in moments where it affects me and brings me fear, makes me uncomfortable, private sins are no longer good to be public. Keep it private. That's our traditions, and sometimes we're not very consistent about applying those traditions. That brings me back to this. If we are genuine about reaching souls, if we're genuine about not being this status quo, modern American church, belonging and confessing to Jesus Christ, where everything looks good, everything is just shiny, and oh, i tell you, that's the church I want to be a part of. Brethren, that's not the healthy church, as far as Scripture is concerned, that I personally want to be a part of. I want to be a part of a church that has to go through struggles, because struggles are the very trials that test our faith. Struggles are the very things that mold and shape us into being compassionate human beings. It's the very struggles that saying that my bubble that is limited like this becomes a little bit more expanded through those uncomfortable moments. And what that doesn't mean is that you don't take precautions by virtue of satisfying fears to some extent, because that's exactly what you do. You lock those doors, right? Someone can still knock on the door. You can let them in, right? And if it's not safe, you don't let them in. Is that how we do the church, though? I'll let you in. You're safe. I'm not going to let you in. You're not safe. I believe if we can have moments where we grow like last week, in my mind, there'll be more of these moments and more of these moments and more of these moments. And you're going to have people that says, you know, there's a church at 324 on Franklin Road. Wow. They really do love everyone because we wouldn't let them in our doors. In fact, many of the churches will actually want that person to go to someone else, let it be their problem. Similar words have been spoken along these lines. That's not right. That's not true Christianity as far as I see it. And so I want to get off that soapbox and just make it very, very clear. What dictates your heart? Because the answer is what we want it to be, and we want it to be love. We don't want it to be fear. And I'm not saying that this is instant, that we go from this type of human fear, the natural reactions to what takes place, but to a genuine supernatural because I believe it's learned. I don't think it's just a natural thing for us to go, yeah. You know what most people think when this kind of fear is the kind of, uh, this kind of love, excuse me, is the kind of love that people will say, that's naive. That's crazy talk. That's, oh, oh, I think Francis Chan had a book called Crazy Love. That's crazy love. You know. It's supernatural. When you love someone who's an enemy, that's what Scripture teaches us, right? Matthew chapter 5. Read the last two verses of Matthew chapter 5. Instead of loving your enemies where where, where, we're taught, you know, you should love your enemies. Instead, we just love our friends and despise our enemies. Or we send our love 
to everyone, even to the extent of our enemies. That's supernatural type of love. That's divine love. That's being partakers of the divine nature that the Apostle Peter is talking about us being called into. If we're being partakers of the divine nature, who did Jesus touch? Who did he go after? The people the rest of the world did not want to see or hear or touch or deal with. So I'm asking you, what dictates your actions? So I want to close with this. Um, Going to the song from here. I want to close with this. It is my estimation that in the body of Christ, many in the name of Jesus Christ are about what we are not doing. We don't do this and we don't do that. What I love about this congregation over the years is what can we do biblically for the cause of Christ? And when we do things like that, we get backlash. I'll give you one for instance among others. Um, because we, we don't um, use the Lord's treasury for things like orphans' homes and other things like that, we, because we're saying it's not the authoritative thing to do from the treasury. We don't have authority, Bible authority for it. So what do we do and how can we help people in need, whether it's going to be an orphan's home or someone off the street? And so what we've decided over the years, I don't know when it started here, but we have this benevolent box, right? That's what we call it. Give it a name. And we have it where individuals, not church, but individuals donate into that box. And from that box, when someone comes here and they're in need, we, we help them. <coughs> That's a solution. Not everyone likes that solution, by the way, but it is a solution. And it's a solution based upon love. Not upon fear about what we're, that we're doing it wrong or anything like that. It's like... What can we do? And so when it comes to moments like this, you know, our elders have to look at the whole flock. And they're going to make decisions that build up the whole of the flock. Not when Building up the whole of the flock doesn't mean that every single individual likes what they do in their decisions. And last week may have been a thing where, well, here's what the elders should do. Here's what Mitch should do or whatever. Listen, we're not perfect it's easy to be a Monday morning quarterback. And I will reiterate personally, and I stand as firm as I can stand on this. Me, Mitch Davis, I want more last Sundays. Even if it means that you're upset with me for it. I don't want you to be. What I want, brethren, is for us to open our hearts to individuals who are opening their hearts to us. The last thing I want is for someone to open their soul to us and then feel further away from us when they leave. That's not what I want. That's not what the church is about. Think about where your heart is. Is it filled with the love of Christ? You need to repent if it's not. You really need to think about where your love is. And I pray that we can be that kind of church that continues to grow in the love of Jesus Christ. Our song right now is The Way That He Loves. Great invitation song. Let's sing that song. It's together we stand and sing.